This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. All right, good to see you. So good to be back. I mean that. I had a lot of fun last time, and I wanted to mention something about the hugging thing. Uh, I think Darby mentioned it this morning. I've known Ron for like 20 years, and I'm not kidding. Like, I think the first time I met him, he like went for a hug, and um, it kind of creeped me out a little bit because, um, like, I'm not a hugger. I'm just, I've never been a hugger. And, you know, whenever you see Ron, it's not just like, hey, give me a little hug. He's got his arms out wide. Does anybody, has anybody ever received one of these hugs? And you can be quiet about it, but I know some of you are like, I don't know. But you know what? He's been like that ever since. And um, one thing I've noticed about this church is that what the leader does, the people tend to follow. And this is a warm church. This is a place where people are welcome. And I'm really grateful to be here today. And I just wanted to mention mostly, I'm so glad that Monica is here. Uh, I thought about you... I, uh, I thought about you this morning. Um, I went to Starbucks a little early. For the record, I do not like Starbucks coffee. I drink tea when I'm there. Um, but she is, that's kind of a place, one of her haunts that she would go to. And I'd often run into her there when I was getting some tea. And I just thought about you this morning. And I thought, I wonder if she's going to be there today. Um, last time I spoke here, she was messaging me during the message. Um, <laughs> not while I had my phone, but I got home and there was all these encouragements. And um, gosh, I love you. I'm just really honored that you are back and that you're feeling better and we continue to pray for you. So welcome back. All right. So um, I got to see last week's message on Monday morning when I listened to Ron share. How many of you did the little homework assignment that Ron gave to you? And some of you are like, oh, wait, we had a homework assignment? But he gave us a homework assignment, and, and I connected with it. At the very end of the talk, pretty much at the very end of the talk, Ron asked us to sit with this one thought, thought throughout the entire week. And, and here was the thought. I am adopted by God. It's like he wanted us to sit with this idea, and all week resonate with this incredible idea that I'm adopted by God. And when I heard the talk... I put it down on my planner, and I wrote it in my planner every single day this week, including this morning, when I was at that weird coffee place drinking my tea, and thinking about what it means. Because if I really grasp the reality and believe it absolutely, the idea that I've been adopted by God is a game changer for my life, and also where I find my identity and, and, and yours too. As we said last week, as we venture into the second part of the way of Jesus, we're going to learn better how to follow Jesus. And why are we calling it the way of Jesus? Because people who followed Christ were called the way. And it wasn't necessarily a positive moniker to carry, by the way, because perhaps it was neutral, but this was probably a way for people to box up and identify this ragtag fugitive fleet of people that became known as the way, or people who followed Christ. Now, I will say, as a Star Wars nerd, I kept thinking of the Mandalorian and their constant, you know, this is the way, this is the way. Like six of you got that, which means most of you are older, so I don't know what that means, but 
this is the way, and I really like that. Although the book of Boba Fett was not very good, but I digress. Um, Ron spoke about behavior and identity last week, and I think it, in a very nuanced way, helped to distinguish the dynamics of this and how it plays out in our everyday lives. Now, I want to talk to you about my own personal identity for just a minute. Some of you are like, oh no, where is this going? So um, I identified as a pastor for 30 years. And here was my concern when I used to think to myself, um, who am I when I leave the pastorate? So most of you know I left the pastorate a year and a half ago uh, to work with uh, an organization called Camino Felix. And when you're known as, as a pastor for a long time, it's a really weird thing for people to stop calling you Pastor Bill. It became my identity. I was thinking of the policemen that are here today. My dad was a policeman for 30 years in Novato. And police, many times when they're younger, especially identify their job as who they are. So they often are the job, or at least they feel that way. And my dad, as, as he was a sergeant and, and eventually a lieutenant and someone who led those kind of men, had to work regularly to help them remind themselves that, you know, you are who you are. You are not what you do. And it's been difficult for me, and this has been a real challenge. Like, when we talk about identity, I identified myself as, as a pastor. And, and there's little things that go with that. I mean, sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's great. You know, I loved being called Pastor Bill. I loved people needing me. I loved people wanting to ask me questions about this or that. Most of the questions, not all of the questions. Um, I, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And then I wasn't a pastor anymore. And people still reached out, but as I've noticed over the last year and a half, it's, that's, you know, gotten less and less. So who are we? Just before I continue, I'll just tell you this. In the last year and a half, what I've learned more than anything is my beautiful identity as a child of God and how that has made me so much more grateful for the position that I am. Because when you identify just as your job or however it is, there's this sense of that you have to be wrapped up entirely in that. And if you're not, then you're not worth anything. We're going to see in just a minute that our value comes from our identity in him. This is so critical because there's many people who don't fit the, 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 the stereotype of what a Christian should look like. I've dealt with this my whole life. One of the favorite things people used to say to me all the time is, Bill, like, you don't act like, you don't, you shouldn't say you act. They, they go, you don't seem like a pastor. But I kind of reveled in that because what I want more than anything is to be looked at as someone who follows Jesus with their whole heart. And Pastor Ron will admit to this, we're pastors and that's awesome, but really we're all the same in this church body. We just have a different role. And all of you have something that you're to do. So I thought what Ron was talking about was really nuanced and really, really engaging and how it plays out every day. There's a lot of conversation around identity today, and I think it's really important. Why? Go ahead and go to the first slide. Who or what you identify with, the source of how you choose to be affiliated and associated, usually ends up being where you get your values and your relationships and ultimately informs your behavior. 
So critical. And by the way, let's be careful, I think, when we talk about identity and even how we talk about it to other people. Because in my mind, when people talk about what their identity is, I think that in the big picture, what they're wrestling with and what they're ultimately trying to connect to is something far larger than themselves. We all want to fit in. We all want to have a place. We all want to have the sense of identity or purpose. And so a lot of times we, we, we identify with who we are, perhaps our ethnicity or how we identify in a million different ways. I identify as a Buffalo Bills fan and they are well on their way, I'm sure, of defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers while I speak this morning. I didn't glance at the score, but I'm just going to tell you. I actually believe when people talk about identity in any way, they're actually responding to that inner homing beacon that Solomon talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 when he tells us that God has planted eternity into the human heart. And it's like there's all these people, and, and including me, and, and we've got this thing inside of us, kind of like, remember when E.T.'s chest glowed with the, ooh, ooh, it was a homie beacon, he was like, you know, that whole thing. For us, God has placed eternity in your heart, and you know what it is? It's us, it's him saying, I'm going to draw you back slowly but surely. And see, we look at things and what people do and we go, oh, they're so far off the track, they're far off the track. And I keep thinking to myself, no, I think they're closer than ever. Because they're trying to respond to the identity that God has placed inside of them, of his desire for them to be their kid. People are actively looking for somewhere to place their identity. And that, to me, is the hunt for God himself. But I think the greatest thing that we learned last week was that we're chosen and that we're holy and that we've been given incredible blessings simply because our identity is in him. How would your life look or how would you act and what would your confidence be like if you engaged life from the vantage point that all your uh, all of your your identity was found completely in Jesus. Now think about it. There would be no more desire to keep up with the Joneses and shuffle and jockey to find value and identity from wealth or prestige or power or influence or people or anything else used to make you feel okay about you. Because when you begin with the identity that I am number one, his kid, then I can be exactly who God created me to be. That is such a powerful standpoint to be at. How many people that you know, maybe you yourself, how many people do you know and maybe you yourself are trying to fit into this or that just to find some internal validity? This next slide. The truth is it's more than enough to say and really, really know I am a child of God with all the benefits and responsibilities that come with that. And it's incredibly liberating. Now, I'm not saying this is our, you know, our green flag to just kind of fly your freak flag all over the place and just be weird. Some of you are just weird on your own. But what I am saying is that when you face things in the world, or, or young people, when you face things at school, and you want to fit in, you want to become a part of this, and you know, we say young people. The truth is, adults, you're trying to fit in too. You always try to do that. You've ever sat around a table in the break room at, at lunch uh, with other people and someone's gossiping? Did you ever just kind of go, you know what, we shouldn't gossip. You don't do that. You just sit and listen. And when someone tells a joke about somebody else, you kind of go, <laughs> yeah, True. But what if you knew who you were completely in Jesus? 
And you have this sense of, I don't have to keep up or show up or talk about or be anything other than who I am. And I'm going to be the kind of person that reaches and looks for the best in all those people around me. We spend so much of our lives trying to fit into this group or that, that we're trying to please others in a quest to find some semblance of acceptance. But if my identity is wrapped up in the fact that I'm adopted by the loving Heavenly Father, then there's no more straining or striving, no more push and shove. I simply am. And that brings peace because it's finally resolved. All right, so let's jump into the text today. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 is where I'm going to begin. It'll be up on the screen here. God has now revealed to us his his mysteries regarding with with will regarding Christ. I'm going to start that all over. I I had black tea this morning and it's running my blood a little bit. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God for he chose chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. All right, so God is good at making plans. We know that. And those plans always work out, is what's being said. And they are all tied to the loving promise discovered as we find our identity in him. Now, the biggest thing found in this plan is that those who trust him have an inheritance. This is really, really, really critical. I don't know how many of you are expecting some sort of inheritance in life. Maybe some of you aren't. I have no idea. But we have the greatest inheritance that could ever have been given. The idea of inheritance means this. Next slide. To be assigned a portion or to be given a heritage. Literally, we're given a portion of all that God has. And actually, the really crazy thing about this is that the word chosen for inheritance here, in the original language, was used in relation to casting lots which is weird because casting lots was kind of like drawing straws. Do you know what that is? Yeah, and, 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 and that's just really strange. It's the luck of the draw. But in this case, the language gives the idea that while it's random, you are still a shoe in to get the prize. Next slide, because God made the decision ahead of time, so the game is rigged in your favor. So this, that's why this, this word that's used for inheritance is so critical for us to understand and for us to look at. It's like it's rigged in our favor ahead of time, like we're destined to win. We don't necessarily deserve to win, but we are destined to win. Why does that matter? It matters because it's all about God choosing you even when you don't deserve it. And in fact, should basically have the same odds as anybody else. Instead, the fix is in. It was decided ahead of time that you win. Well, what do you win? This is great. You win him. Pastor Bill, it's such good preaching. You just go. like. I'm going to talk about this in just a second, but you win him. And that means you win eternity with him. You win the promises of God. You win the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And now, no matter your life circumstance, you will always have these things. I think one of the challenges for so many of us living today is that what it, it, it's cool that we have Jesus and all, but what we really want is everything else to go with it. We want the stuff, and we want the goodies, and we want to never have problems and we want our kids to be beautiful, and we want our fair share of all that this world has to offer. 
And when it doesn't quite play out that way, we get disinterested or discontent or discouraged or even distraught. But that's not actually what's promised. Instead, what's promised to us is God himself. This is so big. If you could wrap your head and your heart around it, it could literally change how you walk out the door today. I think we struggle with assigning real value to our faith because we want all we can here. And oh, by the way, we want Jesus too. But when you realize that having him is better than all of the other stuff put together, here's what happens. You suddenly begin to see everything is like a bonus. So if you wake up in the morning and you start with this idea, I am a child of the king. And a guy at my church used to say, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. My eternity is secure in him. And if you wake every day with that idea, what will happen is you suddenly will begin to see everything as a bonus, as gravy, as a cherry on top of the Sunday. Next slide. See, perspective will flow Gifts will appear out of nowhere, mostly because you'll finally see that they were there all along. And all of a sudden, it will become, wow, look at all this other stuff too. I don't deserve any of this. And I have Jesus too? Wow. Sometimes God has to get us to a point where Jesus ultimately is all we have. But when you get to that point, you'll see then that Jesus is all you really need. Yes, we know you need to live and have food and place to live. But the scriptures are full of those promises anyway. Back to our identity in him, back to what he's already promised. He's promised he'll take care of those things. Next slide. Next portion, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. God's purpose was that, I'm sorry if I keep bugging this, but it's pulling me in a weird way, and I have these weird things about things pulling on me. So I'm going to adjust it. Okay, there we go. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you, I put two in there. That's not in the scripture, but I put that. That's pretty much what he's saying. The good news that God saves you too. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So this is kind of big. Ron mentioned last week, Ephesian church was largely made up of non-Jewish people. Those people refer to as Gentiles. And here Paul is telling them and all of us that while Jesus was received first by Jewish people, that the door has been swung wide open for non-Jewish people too. Not only that, the same portion sizes being dished out to the Jewish believers in Jesus were the same exact portion sizes being given to all the Gentiles as well. Same inheritance, same blessings, same promise, same exact everything. Now, of course, this is really good news. It was certainly good news to the new believers then. But then there was this sudden realization. If we're all getting the same size portion served up, then does that mean that we're all on the same playing field? Are we all playing by the same rules? And does that mean that God looks at us all the same? Well, yeah. Yeah, it does. There's a lot that goes with that, though. Okay, so wait, does that mean that we are supposed to, I don't know, treat everyone like they're equally important to God as I am? God has put into his plan 
the creation of this amazing opportunity for unity that is supposed to transcend all human divisions. And we call it the church. And you know, honestly, the church was pretty much this sociological experiment where incredibly divergent people try to live together in peace and harmony. Um, how, how the heck was that supposed to work? You need to understand the big pictures of the dynamics. You know, in today's churches, largely you go there, and most of the people are kind of like you. Kind of. And there can be pushback and tension. But back then, think about this. A wealthy individual was there, and sitting right next to them was the poorest of the poor. And Jesus has told them, through the apostles, you're the same. But the wealthy guy is probably thinking, I mean, I'm mostly the same. And the poor guy's like, I'm the same? But they're the same. There's stories throughout the New Testament about what happens when this conflict arises between people in the church that are different and they're called to see themselves as on the same team exactly. Like I said a little bit earlier, Ron is the pastor of the church, but the truth is Ron's just another member of this church. He has a significant role to play, but it's just a role just like all of your roles. And suddenly the church is filled with this. I think it begins with the acceptance that God is building a big house with lots of rooms. And the first thing we need to recognize is that we're all the same in his eyes. Listen to this from Galatians chapter 3. Verses 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in the Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know what we all wear? We wear Jesus. We're all supposed to wear Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. You have no idea how huge an idea this was. Women were looked at property in the Roman world during this time. And now suddenly, everyone's equal. I know some people would be like, well, they're not really equal. No, they're really equal. And there's so much you have to do to try to work that through. This, of course, is great hope for the world, and frankly, not often what we see in church life. But that is the standard nevertheless. So what does that mean practically for you, and what does that mean practically for me? I have some ideas that have been resonating inside of me, and I initially thought these are kind of Bill Funk ideas, but they're not. They're all Bible, so they can't possibly be my ideas. We'll go to this next slide. We'll begin with this premise. There's not a person you've laid eyes on that wasn't created in the image of our loving Heavenly Father. There's not a person that you've laid eyes on that wasn't created in the image of your heavenly, loving Heavenly Father. Why is that so important? Because I know you, because I know me. And we look at certain people, and we go, oh, well, they. And you may not say that out loud, but you think it. I'm going to get real close to home, so hang on. Some of you, if I were to say right now, I want you to think of people that just bug you to no end. First off, there'd be a lot of horrible feelings in this room, and we don't, we don't want to do that. But you could say... I know Jesus loves them, but they're wrong. Or they're in a bad place. They're probably Democrats. (laughs) Or 
They're probably Trumpers. <laughs> and we all think we're right. So we come into this world, we come into these churches that God has created to work together. And really, if you don't, if you never press up against any kind of relational tension, you should probably ask yourself why you're not dealing with those things. Now, some of you just love relational tension. And by the way, I don't, that's not good. But when you're in a church, you're going to have some tension and it pays to work through some things. Now, I've been a pastor, so I know exactly what this looks like and what it feels like. But I have to be willing to hear what they have to say, and they need to be willing to hear what I have to say. And as human beings, we need to grow up and work together in it. So when you come with this idea that not a person you've ever laid eyes on wasn't created in the image of our our loving Heavenly Father, that means there's some consequences to this type of life. And with that in mind, our church lives have to look like something different. And I just came up with a few quick scriptures, and, and we'll push through them, but you can... Watch them on video for now and forever and ever. Amen. Next slide. Here's the first thing. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. With Jesus' death on the cross, you lost every excuse not to forgive. And I know that can be hard. And Bill, you don't know who... You're talking about, you don't know what that person did to me. I know. But when Jesus died and forgave you, it's incumbent upon you now to forgive them. I'm not saying that happens overnight. Anybody had someone in their life that it's taken a lifetime to work through some of these things through? None of you raised your hands, but Pastor Ron said it loud, and so I believe it. From him, who's being truthful. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for being truthful, Pastor, in church. <laughs> when I was in Bible school, I had this guy who um, was in love with my fiance. And he, it was, oh, it was weird. Like he, he would like, he'd be like, you know, it must be amazing to be with Wendy because she probably gets you up in the morning to, to pray. And I said, well, first, we're not married yet. We're not, we're not together that way. I said, but, um, and he just kept talking about her. And he actually told someone else in my Bible school that he felt like it was God's will that he marry her. So, of course, my initial response is, crud, I'm going to die. And he's going to have her. Like, I don't know why that was my first response, but that was my first response. <laughs> but then secondly, it was like, are you kidding me? And he kept saying, all, I'm not, this is true. And it was just, oh. And as God is my witness, one day I just felt really strongly God saying, I want you to get up and I want you to hug him. And I said, do you remember I'm not a hugger? Like, I don't do the, I don't go to new life. We don't hug all the time. And, and I had to hug him and forgive him. Now, was he still weird? Yeah, totally weird. But down the road, I discovered all kinds of things that were happening in his world And it got better and better for him as time went on. Now, if I had been a jerk, if I had pulled a Draymond Green, (laughs) anybody see that punch? 
You shouldn't be watching that. Just kidding. <laughs> be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving as God forgave you. Next one. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Could you imagine what that would be like? If you came to church, if you went to work, if you went to the soccer field, if you went to wherever you go, and every day just decided, I'm going to outdo whoever I can. I want to show the most love. What would your day be like? How about the next one? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you. You know how much depends on you? Most of it. Sometimes there's things you can't fix. People just are mad because they're mad. Or they're upset, or they think you did something, and they don't even remember, but they know they're upset. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The greatest thing you can do to help facilitate a healthy life in a church is to look out for other people first. That's a shocker, huh? 1 Corinthians 16.14, let all you do be done in love. And I love this one, 1 Peter 2.17. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God, respect the king. Respect everyone. Every person is worthy of respect. Because why? They were created in the image of God. Now, some of you bump into people and they're kind of weird and you don't like them and they're like super liberal or they're super right or whatever. And you're like, they don't deserve respect. And God says, respect everyone. Last verse, Ephesians 1.14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that, he's purchased, and that he has per, uh, purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is my favorite part of this whole text. Thank you, Ron, for giving me verse 14. Other versions of this text use the word deposit instead of guarantee. So, it used to be that when you bought a glass bottle filled with your favorite beverage, that the store took a little bit more as a deposit to ensure that you would bring the bottle back. Does anybody remember those days? And, you know, we think this goes way, 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 way back. It actually doesn't. It started in Oregon in 1971. Can anything good come out of Oregon? I guess that can. <laughs> this thing, I believe you did, and I love Oregon. My son lived up there. It's a beautiful state. It used to be that when you bought your favorite soda or whatever in that glass bottle, you would return it because of the deposit. They used to refill bottles. Don't really do that so much today. And Oregon became the first in 1971. The idea was that compared to a bottle of soda, which at the time in 1971 was like 30 to 35 cents, the five cents was a pretty big deal and incentive enough for you to bring it back. Now, did you know you still get charged a deposit fee on all those things today? But you don't think about it, except go to Costco, buy the big container of water, and right below it, it says CRV. It's like $3. And you're like, whoa. But you never bring those bottles back. See, the analogy that is used here works really well with our text because Paul refers to, go to the next slide, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now get this. In other words, it's a promise that Jesus is not only there for us, but that he won't leave us on our own since his spirit dwells in us. 
and that at the appropriate time, he will return to redeem that deposit and take us home. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a deposit that God is going to redeem when time is done, and you will be with him for eternity. Now, I started this talk with this idea that having your identity him is, is something that is an absolute game changer. But when you realize that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and that God is going to redeem that deposit, you, from the beginning to the end, are never out of his hands. You may not have all the money you need in the bank. You may have some relational challenges going on. <clears throat> you could be sick. A lot of people dealing with, with big challenges. Our pastor's wife, with cancer and with heart surgery, well, surely the pastor's wife should be exempt. Monica has walked through this with dignity and grace. And I know there's days when she's tired and she's frustrated and she's exhausted and she's sad. And yet God has kept her. And the biggest picture is that all of us, Monica and Ron, all of you, We'll be, we'll be in this together forever because of this deposit that's been put in us. The indwelling work of the Spirit is a beautiful thing in a very real sense that God of the universe is with us because God himself is so good. The way of Jesus is the way of a really good plan. The way of Jesus provides her a portion of everything that he is. The way of Jesus promises hope for today and hope for tomorrow and hope for eternity. The way of Jesus is a life indwelled by God's spirit that comes with a full guarantee that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And someday he'll bring us out of the land of our sojourning and into his presence forever. So when you wake up this morning, tomorrow morning or this afternoon when you leave this, this place, could you just pause and maybe reflect again on what Ron asked us to do last week, all week. And remind yourself that you're not only loved by God, but you've been adopted by the king of all kings. And that should put a little spring in your step. Make your mind a little brighter, a little upper. Ready to go. No matter what you face, he's with you. Listen, you have to believe that. You have to hold on to that. And some days that's all we have, but he is good. And there's so much more, but that's a story for another Sunday. Next Sunday, as a matter of fact. Let's pray together. And actually what I want to do is pray for you. Get the worship team to come on back up. That would be great. There they are. Like magic. I love the little stripped-down set, don't you? The three pieces? Super cool. Lord, thank you. Um, I thought my identity for a long time was in serving you as a pastor. And for that, I thought maybe my identity was in attaining this or having that or becoming this or saying this is my job. But Lord, what I've learned really, really clearly over the last year and a half is that my identity is simply in being your kid. And all the blessings and all the responsibilities that come with that. And you've given me a church to be able to connect to. And all the folks in this room, you've given a church 
to be able to work through and work out and understand who we are and why we are. And Lord, you've given this incredible gift of your presence and the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And it's there as a deposit. He's there as a deposit guaranteeing that you'll never go away and that you'll take us to you when the time has come. Lord, I pray for everyone in the room this morning that they would deeply have a sense of that as their identity. I may identify as a Buffalo Bills fan, but Lord, nothing could ever be so incredible as knowing that I am your child. So for each person today, may they sense that, may they know that, may they dwell on that, and may they respond to you in like kind and to the people that they serve together in this church with. Lord, we're so grateful. We thank you. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.